0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of M's Drive-In. I'm your host Emily bringing you into the exciting world of cinema with some behind-the-scenes facts and everything you need to know about some of the best artists in the business. Today's episode is all about the legendary filmmaker Steven Spielberg. So I hope you all enjoy and let's get right to it. According to the article 14 Trademarks of Steven Spielberg's Iconic Filmmaking by V. Rene for NoFilmSchool.com, The article states, So many of his films, including Jaws, E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and The Color Purple, tell stories about families that have gone through some kind of trauma, be it divorce, abuse, or illness. The way that Spielberg deals with this is interesting because he tends to give more agency to the children who are suffering from trauma than the adults who are suffering from trauma. Even when children aren't much of a presence throughout the length of the film, they still find a way to appear long enough to give the struggling adults just enough hope, strength, or will to push through their darkest moments in the narrative. Steven Spielberg is extremely beloved by so many people around the world because his films reflect a lot of familial tensions through the eyes of a child. Many of the thematic conflicts that you see throughout his body of work has to touch upon some type of adult conflict with a kid-friendly twist. And because of this, you really see the struggles of adolescence at the forefront of most of his work. His films also touch upon the separation and reunification of loved ones. And you see that a lot through the family dynamics and the dysfunctions that come with being a child. A lot of the main themes you see in a Spielberg movie touch upon childhood emphasis, a broken family, the absent father, a lot of the characters in his films come across as ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances, and a lot of his films also focus on middle class values. There's one story in particular about Spielberg that I really enjoy watching and telling. In 2013, he was the president of the Cannes Film Festival. And he got a standing ovation, a thunderous applause. And what was so humbling about watching this is that he was so humble receiving that praise. And I thought that it was incredible that a person who is that famous and that well known and that loved, who is in a different country that isn't even his own, and getting that kind of praise and still feeling so humbled and taken aback by it. There's something so gratifying and so endearing about watching somebody with that amount of success still be so humble and still be so that down-to-earth and just passionate about what he does. And it was a beautiful moment to see. The first movie that we are going to talk about today is E.T. This movie was released in 1982, and it was written by Melissa Mathison and directed by Steven Spielberg. This film is about an alien who becomes stranded on Earth and is discovered and befriended by a young boy named Elliot, who is played by Henry Thomas. Elliot takes the alien home and introduces E.T. to his brother Michael, played by Robert McNaughton and his sister Gertie, played by Drew Barrymore. Once E.T. becomes ill, the siblings have to find a way to get their new friend home as they battle with a government intervention. The themes of this film are compassion, communication, and self reflexivity. According to the chapter E.T. the Extraterrestrial Turn On Your Love Light in the book The Cinema of Steven Spielberg, written by Nigel Morris, the chapter states Elliot defiantly upsets his mother by referring to his father in Mexico with a girlfriend prompting his brother Michael to ask when Elliot will think about how other people feel for a change. The mother's difficulty disciplining her children is linked to the father's absence, suggesting mild family dysfunction. The alien becomes Elliot's surrogate father, socializing him by teaching consideration and setting responsibilities. This leads us into the first theme of compassion. At the beginning of the film, we see E.T.'s family come down on their spaceship, and they come out of the spaceship, and they're exploring Earth. And like any child would, E.T. runs off and explores on his own, but ends up getting separated from his family. And he ends up experiencing a lot of the emotions that a child would when they get separated from their family. He experiences a lot of fear and loneliness and that anxiety of being in a new place and realizing you're all by yourself. And Elliot feels the same exact way when it comes to his family. He feels very isolated and neglected because his father was the only one that he felt truly understood him and his father isn't around anymore. So he retreats and runs off and does things by himself, and E.T. is in a position where he's by himself. So when Elliot finds E.T., he does feel a sense of responsibility to take care of E.T. and let him know that everything is going to be okay. But at the same time, they do find a sense of peace, and they find a sense of solace within each other's presence, because they both have a little better understanding of each other and a little better understanding of what each other is going through. I think the reason why we love E.T. and Elliot's relationship so much is because they share that commonality of loneliness and they share that commonality of the desire of finding a place to feel loved and a desire to be home or find a feeling that feels stable for them. And that visceral connection that they have with each other helps them heal. And it's an amazing thing to witness because they're very different physically. Obviously, E.T. is an alien and Elliot is a human, and they come from very different backgrounds, but they share those feelings and those emotions of what it's like to be a lonely kid and to just want to find somebody to share their life with in a platonic way. The chapter continues to state, Sarah Harwood describes E.T. as a parodic father who uses the house for entertainment and servicing, gets drunk, throws beer cans at the television, wears Elliot's father's clothes, and employs his tools. When we think of the word Paradox, we think of a play-on or an imitation. E.T. is able to establish his place in the home by taking on that absent father role. That scene where Elliot and his siblings are at school and their mother is at work and E.T. is home alone, establishes that role because he grabs a beer from the fridge and he throws it at the TV and he's wearing Elliot's dad's clothes and it's like filling in the missing puzzle pieces of Elliot's life, especially when it comes to the confusion and the sadness and the loneliness that Elliot feels in regards to his father's absence. The theme of communication is seen as a mirror. E.T. becomes Elliot's mirror. He absorbs everything that Elliot, Michael, and Gertie teach him, and he uses those teachings to adjust to a temporary situation. For example, he experiences a lot of situational anxiety that the children help tame. And they help him tame a lot of this angst by teaching E.T. what the world is like, and how one is expected to behave. And E.T. and the kids come to this realization that the world isn't all that bad. When we think of self-reflexivity, we think of films that are self-aware of themselves. An example of this is how Elliot and E.T. react after the government takes E.T. away. They are both hooked up to a lot of these wires and the government is doing a bunch of different tests on them and they both feel the same emotions as each other at the exact same time. And each shift in this emotion closes that physical gap between them. And you really do see that power of human connection shine through. What I love about this scene in particular is that it reminds me a lot of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Because in Close Encounters, you also see the breakdown of a family. You see the breakdown of a father and son, and you see the breakdown of a husband and a wife. But when they see the aliens by the end of the movie... There's that innate curiosity and that innate reflex to be able to communicate with somebody outside of yourself or somebody outside of your own social circle. And those reminders that we are all human and we are all capable of experiencing some kind of connection and some kind of inner emotion. And I think that that's a huge part of what the film ending represents as well. Elliot helps E.T. get back to his family. E.T. wants Elliot to come with him, and Elliot wants him to stay. And they are both hurting because they have to say goodbye to each other, but at the same time, they are both aware of how they helped each other heal and how they helped each other grow. And that is a huge part of what makes E.T. such an endearing and loved film, is just this innate power and this innate love that transcends through all different kinds of beings and all different kinds of experiences and how we are all in the same circles of life and how life can get just really messy and complicated and it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter where you come from. We are all in this position of being able just to experience the complications and the messiness of life. There are many different ways that E.T. relates to the overall themes of Spielberg's work. First of all, we have the ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. E.T. is taking place in a suburban family home, and a suburban family town, and they bring an alien home. There is also the aspect of a broken family, where we see Elliot taking out his anger on his mother, his older brother, and his younger sister, and he is the one that creates that main source of dysfunction and of course the absent father theme Elliot's father leaving is what drives his narrative and as audience members we are really able to see how E.T. filling that void is what helps Elliot heal next up we have Saving Private Ryan this movie was released in 1998 and was written by Robert Rodat and directed by Steven Spielberg this movie is about Captain John Miller who is played by Tom Hanks who takes his men behind enemy lines to find Private James Ryan, whose three brothers have been killed in combat. Surrounded by the brutal realities of war while searching for Ryan, each man embarks upon a personal journey and discovers their own strength to triumph over an uncertain future with honor, decency, and courage. The themes of this movie are moral struggle, tragedy, and guilt. According to the article Saving Private Ryan and Post-War Memory in America, written by John Bondar, the article states, American men in this story are destroyed by war, and only a few actually enjoy killing Germans. At its rhetorical core, the story's argument would have seemed very familiar to audiences in the 1940s. The common American soldier was fundamentally a good man who loved his country and his family. He went to war out of a sense of duty to both, and he wanted to get it over with as quickly as possible. Rather than being a natural-born killer, he was a loving family man who abhorred the use of extreme force but could inflict it when necessary. This quote leads us into the first theme of moral struggle. The 1940s had a huge image of a quote-unquote man's responsibility to serve their country. And there was this big question in the air of what is a man if he can't fight and defend? And the war really gave people, the sense of how men know each other on the battlefield is different from what really goes on outside of the world of war. An example of this is when Captain Miller tells the men about what he does when he's not fighting. He tells them that he's a school teacher and he has a wife back home, and we see that physical effect of what he goes through when he watches men die every day. Watching a lot of these events unfold that are out of his control makes him realize how badly he doesn't want these situations to occur. And it has a really negative physical effect on him. We see his hands physically shake a lot throughout the film. And at one point, some of the men notice it. And they have a great sense of empathy towards their captain because they understand a little bit of what he is going through. They may not have the exact same physical reaction, but they do have other quirks and other flaws that come into view, especially when you're in a war and you're trying to fight and there's a lot of traumas and a lot of uncertainties. It manifests itself in many different ways. The article continues to state, although anguish and bravery share narrative space in this film, they do not do so on an equal basis. The pain of the American combat soldier is revealed, but it is ultimately placed within a larger frame of patriotic failure. Some American soldiers in this story question the war effort and their superiors' decisions, but in the end the nation and its warriors are moral and honorable. The fact that combat was so frightening serves mainly to reinforce our admiration for these soldiers and their gallantry. One example of this is the opening scene. If you've seen the movie, you know that this opening scene is what sets the whole entire tone for the rest of the film. That is what opening scenes do for films in general, but for this film in particular, it feels a lot more visceral and it feels like the audience is there with the characters because of how brutal and how in the moment a lot of the violence is. And much of that honorable mentality that is represented throughout the film is reinforced by the characters and by their doubts and their fears. And despite being in this unpredictable situation, they are still willing to fight for morality and honorability. Another example of this is when Vin Diesel's character Caprizio saves the little girl. That whole entire sequence is very stressful in and of itself, but it also shows a lot of that honorability. Because yes, the sniper does kill Caprizio, But he waits until the little girl is safe, and he waits for Caprizio to give the group his note to his parents before taking one more shot. And that scene in particular shows that even the Germans have a moral code to some degree, and they are willing to do the right thing to some extent. The theme of tragedy definitely runs throughout the film as well because of the tone that is set up in the opening scene, but also just because of the everyday aspects of being on the front lines and fighting. But what's really interesting about this theme is how the character dynamic is reinforced. Because when the group first gets together, they are basically strangers. They don't know each other prior to fighting in this war together. The only commonality that they have is that they're all there to fight for what is honorable. But we see that as the group does get to know each other, they do create a camaraderie with one another, which makes the losses that much harder to experience. An example of this is Wade's death, the medic who is played by Giovanna Rubisi. This scene in particular is always the scene that stands out to me the most in the film. It is so heartbreaking and gut-wrenching Because all Wade wants to know is that his mom is gonna be okay and all he wants to see is his mother before he dies. And it's that reality of having to leave your family to go off and do something that is so horrible and that is so heartbreaking and that really does affect you in the long run. And you have to leave the people that you love in order to fight for what is morally right. And with Wade especially, him being a medic, He is always the one making sure everybody else is okay. So when we lose Wade, there's a lot of sensitivity to that. And there's a lot of power behind that. Because now the men have to step up and take care of the medic. And all the medic really wants is to be back home with his family. So it's this cycle of what soldiers have to give up in order to fight for what is the correct moral thing to do in the way of being honorable. The theme of guilt also follows the rhetoric of if we can save one person as a group, then we can all get home. Or in other words, the faster we save this person, the faster we can get back home to our families. And once the team finds Ryan and essentially saves him, Ryan doesn't understand why he deserves to go home when so many other men fought and died. And he has to live with the guilt of that. He doesn't understand what makes him so special enough to be able to go home when all of these other men weren't able to go back home to his family. Which puts so much in perspective. Because I think we realize that what a soldier feels once they go back home or once they are lucky enough to survive and go back home, nobody understands unless they are a soldier themselves. There's really no way to describe the feeling of being able to survive a situation that you felt that you couldn't. And that survivor's guilt is what haunts a lot of these people that come back home after the war. And it's just very eye-opening to see that. And I think through this film, we get a different lens of what it is like to look out for people, and especially to look out for people that you don't know personally and how you are still able to find a commonality with somebody even if you've only known them for a short period of time. And I think that that is also what a huge part of the ending of the film represents. We see Ryan as an older man and how he is able to remember and appreciate all of the men that have fought for him during this time. And he tells his wife at the end of the movie, he says, tell me I've led a good life, tell me I'm a good man. And it brings up a lot of those emotions of, are we good despite the pain that we cause others, especially during the war? And it's that universal issue of all of those hardships that people have after the war. The two overall themes in this movie in regards to how these themes relate to Spielberg's work is, again, Ordinary People in Extraordinary Circumstances and The Broken Family. When we think of Ordinary People in Extraordinary Circumstances in regards to this film, we think of what soldiers do at home versus who they are when they fight on the battlefield. Like I had said before, their lives at home are very different from their lives when they go off to war. So Captain Miller being a schoolteacher and having a wife definitely lends itself to that quieter life that he has before being a captain out on the field. And especially when it comes to the theme of broken family, we have the hardships that the families have to experience when their loved ones go off to war. Now moving on to some fun facts. For E.T., Steven Spielberg shot most of the film from the eye level of a child to further connect with Elliot and E.T. In the Halloween scene where E.T. sees a child in Yoda costume and seems to recognize him, this is an inside joke by Steven Spielberg on his good friend, Star Wars creator George Lucas. In Star Wars Episode I, The Phantom Menace, Lucas returns the joke in a scene that takes place in the Galactica Senate. In the shot of the various senators calling out, you can see E.T.'s species among the Senate pods in the lower right corner. Richard Attenborough later said that he felt bad that his own film, Gandhi, beat this film to the Best Picture Academy Award because he considered his friend Steven Spielberg's film more deserving of the award and was convinced before the ceremony that it would win. Attenborough described E.T. as quite an extraordinary piece of cinema. Steven Spielberg is said to have gotten the idea for the film from the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind when the aliens show up. Spielberg wondered what would happen if one of those aliens was stuck on Earth. Some fans think ET bears a resemblance to those aliens, and even the spaceships from the two films are cited for their visual similarities. For Saving Private Ryan The cast endured a grueling week-long course at boot camp instructed by technical advisor Dale Dye. Tom Hanks, who had previously been trained by Dye for the Vietnam War scenes in Forrest Gump, was the only one of them who knew it would be a hard and uncompromising experience. All the principal actors, except for Matt Damon, underwent several days of grueling army training. Damon was spared so that the other actors would resent him and would convey that feeling in their performances. When Captain Miller tells the rest of the unit what he does for a living back home, his speech was much longer in the original script. Tom Hanks, however, felt that his character wouldn't have said so much about himself, and he told director Steven Spielberg. So Spielberg agreed and the speech was shortened. When the camera shakes during explosions, Steven Spielberg used drills attached to the side of the camera, which were turned on when required. While shooting with this effect, the crew's photographer let Spielberg know that there was a shaker lens for cameras. Spielberg said in an interview that he had thought he had invented a great new technique. For Munich, actor and director Matthew Kasiewicz had left strict instructions to his agent that he would not take any acting assignments at all, as he wanted to fully concentrate on directing features. However, this film was an exception. According to him, he accepted the role of Robert because he jumped at the chance to work with Steven Spielberg. The film crews called the shooting of the movie as a race against the clock in order to have the film ready by Christmas for Academy Awards consideration. Steven Spielberg and editor Michael Kahn devised an editing schedule in which all of the scenes in Malta and Hungary shot in 12 weeks were edited on the spot each day. Spielberg would review an edited scenes shot two days earlier. Two copies of the edited scene were sent out, one to John Williams for music and the other to Ben Burtt for sound effects. The Paris and New York City scenes were edited two weeks after photography, and the final cut was readied after another two weeks. In the opening segment of the movie, there is a brief shot of two Israeli girls watching television appearing twice. The one on the left is Steven Spielberg's daughter, Sasha Spielberg. French actors Matthew Katsevitz, Michael Lonsdale, Matthew Amaric, Marie Jose Crezet, and Valeria Broni Tedeschi dubbed themselves in the French version of this film. Now, moving on to some movie recommendations. First up, we have the film Chronicle of a Summer from the 1960s. This was an amazing documentary done by Edgar Morin and Jean Brochet. What was great about this film? is how present and in the moment the style of documentary is. It's all about people asking other people about their lives and what they really want out of their lives and what we can really get with being present and being available and opening ourselves up to the possibility of how beautiful life can be. And it was such an amazing documentary to watch. Continuing our Mike Lay Marathon, we have Life is Sweet and Secrets and Lies. What I love about Mike Lay's work is that he really does a great job of capturing the suburban, urban lifestyle in the British community. I've seen a lot of British-based films, but it's very rare that I see films about British families in a suburban lifestyle. And it's very special for me to watch his films because they're all about people who are struggling and people who are going through experiences that change them and that humble them in ways that are very relatable, especially in a family dynamic. And his films are just very emotional and very endearing to watch. Last but not least, we have A Mouthful of Air. This is a new movie that Amanda Seyfried is in, and it was so heartbreaking, but it's a very important movie to watch because it touches upon postpartum depression and anxiety after having a baby. These issues aren't talked about a lot, and the way this film handled these issues was incredibly subtle, and there was a lot of implications and such a great use of implied scenery throughout the whole entire movie, which I really appreciated. And I loved being able to see a movie about an issue that isn't talked about a lot and about an issue that should be talked about because it helps get rid of the stigma behind mental health. As our time together comes to an end, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in to M's Drive-In. I'm your host, Emily, bringing you into the exciting world of cinema with some behind-the-scenes facts and everything you need to know about some of the best artists in the business. Keep an eye out for our next episode on the filmography of Ingmar Bergman.